0: Welcome to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, and they call me Wolf, and they call our show PRT, and my co-host is with me. Uh, His name is Mushu, and I'm with Anthony, Anthony. and we are here to discuss weird stuff. And welcome to Tuesday. Um, Now, last Friday, we talked about uh, uh, portals and... Um, we got geez. a great guest on alternate realities. It was weird. It got really weird. And then I told a couple stories. One was of a ghost sentinel type being, and the other one was a weird uh, ma- creature from the Matrix. I don't know what to call it. But anyway, we talked about a lot of weird stuff. It was on the Friday live stream. Go check it out on YouTube. It's only on YouTube. Okay, that's the live stream. This this week, what we're talking about, um, we're going to do a paranormal po- potluck. We were going to talk about. A specific subject and a story that I've been uh, working on some people with, and and it, they, it, I'm gonna have to put that one off because everybody in the live stream. Yeah, we gave it to the live stream and they voted. Mm-hmm. They yeah. voted. So if you're one of those people who's not, you know, participating in the live stream and not, you should, you should, you should check it out, and you should participate and and uh, you know make your voice heard. Get on there and say what you got to say because a lot of times. Um, that decides how the show goes, you know? So here we are with a, with a paranormal potluck, thanks to the listeners on the live stream. But good thing is we got, I was prepared in case we did that and the, the live stream, uh, uh, has spoken. So here we are for those of you, uh, who want to join, uh, the paranormal roundtable group on Facebook, just go to Par- the paranormal roundtable and join it's free to join, and the upside is that you get tons and tons of stories. People putting their stories on there, or they're promoting their shows. You get, to, you get to learn about other people's shows, other books, things coming out. And also, every episode we put the link on the show, and you can go and leave a comment. If you leave a comment, and your your, your comment you're you're chosen, you win a free book of one of many uh, authors, and it's an autographed book. Right, but you have
1: to be in the Facebook group because that's where we dropped the link to the to the
0: show. Mm-hmm. There you go. And that's that's the stipulation. And so here we are, uh, Josh Turner at PRTPodcast.com. That's the email address you need to send your stories to, or you can hit me up on, on Facebook Messenger. But let me know that you're a listener of the show so I can approve your friend request. Otherwise, I'm not going to. Um, and also the Patreon yeah, so our Patreon, if you go to patreon.com slash PRT
1: podcast, you can become a Patreon member. The links to the Patreon, PayPal, anything that has to do with the show are always going to be in the description box of every YouTube
0: video. And we have different tiers.
1: Yeah, we have a five dollar tier, ten dollar tier, twenty dollar tier. Uh the five dollar tier is just if you want to support the show, show a little bit of love. The ten dollar tier, um if you stay a member of that for Three months you get a uh PRT swag bag. We'll send you a bag with some free stuff. And if you're a twenty dollar tier, you get that swag bag automatically.
0: Yep. And we're going to to be creating a $30 tier too, right? Right. Yeah. And that will actually come with another perk too. Um, but we haven't decided exactly how we're going to play that. Um, but we got a lot of stuff in the works. So without further ado, we're gonna get started on this show. We have an hour here to, to, to talk about some weird stuff. So I'm going to start off with a with, a, with a goat man story. Mm. And this one comes out of the, the area of Galindo, Mexico. Galindo. And uh, where about, what, what province is that in, Anthony? So it, it's in a province that's called,
1: and I'm going to try not to butcher the pronunciation. I believe it's pronounced Querétaro. Which is not really a word that lends itself to an English pronunciation very well. Sounds like
2: you butchered so. it, but that's just me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you wouldn't know. <laughs>
0: uh. Well, I mean, you know, at least he's trying to to uh, say it. I mean, you know. So anyways, with the, <laughs> we're not here to, to, to badmouth each other. We're here to talk about the weird. So what 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 this story was about and what it involved was there was a, a i guess it was a female i guess I should talk about there was this guy's mother the guy that gave me the story and he he lives here in the United States now but his mother was born in Mexico and they came over here in the 1960s um and then he was born in 1970 i think he was um he was the last of four children and when he was a young man he had this story and one of the reasons why not only was it crushing poverty that made his family come here um but it was also because there was something really weird that was going on on their little farm that they were on um and the story was that that her they were living on her family's land and they didn't like his dad. i mean you know and there's a lot of you know in laws who don't like their children, the, the their children's choice and spouses or whatever. But this guy, I guess they they thought very low of him, and they thought that he was just there to you know kind of like be a mooch or whatever, mm-hmm. leech off them. Yeah, and and so the story goes that <clears throat> they believe that there was some sort of brujedia that was attached to this. Now, do you know what brujedia is, Anthony? You know what that is, right? It's a Mexican form of uh, witchcraft. witchcraft. It's, it's very,
1: very. Uh, it's a very cultural thing. Um, it, it's not necessarily like a uh, Catholic thing. It's it's more of a it's more of like a Mexican South American type thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 it's he at that time there wasn't a lot lot of opportunities in Mexico to do much, and so one day when this uh, when she was a young girl, she was only seventeen. When When she had gotten married to this guy, she was sixteen and um he was only he was only seventeen going on eighteen well when she was seventeen um her dad died and so um there was the mother who was kind of forced to go along with the marriage because this person's uh dad um you know that the dad was gone, and so, uh, and th- this is the story that was told to me by this this gentleman who said, you know, he was born in nineteen seventy, but the his grandfather died, and so his mother, um, was with this guy who was his dad, and the mother uh, of of his of his mom, which was his grandmother, his burlita, she was kind of forced to to deal with him because there was no man there. You know, and without a man they had goats. Um, and, and so they didn't have a whole lot going on. They had a small garden, which I guess would be a large garden, you know, it wasn't really a farm. It was just enough to get by, enough to live, you know, and scrape out a scrape out an existence. They had like two and a half, three acres, something like that. And or maybe it was three and a half, four acres, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what he told me as far as the acreage goes, but it was not a big place and there was a little creek there. Um, he said it was, a, it was a, a pretty place, you know, but um, she, she, she kind of was forced to deal with him. Well, his dad had a drinking problem. As we say in Spanish, he was baracho. And one of the things that he would do when he would get drunk is sometimes he would get a little carried away. He'd get violent, not with just his wife, but with the kids. And then one day he made the mistake of striking his mother-in-law. That was a big mistake because she basically went to a bruja, which is a, a, like a, a witch who does bad. That's the opposite of a colandera. Culendera is a healer. A bruja is someone who <laughs> puts bad spells on you, basically. And so it's very common practice in Mexico when someone is offended with a reproach or an insult, they go and they 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 put a curse on you. And she wanted him gone. She wanted him dead. At that point, his two. At that point, I believe it was like his two older brothers had already been born. One of them was already like almost you know eight, eight or nine years old, and um, they had already made up their minds that they were going to try to come to America. Well, he did not want to go to America. He wanted to stay living on that farm, which he had be kind of become the the master of it or whatever. And another thing too, he was a violent man and he was able to fight. He was a, he was a tough guy basically, you know? And so he, he was able to rough up her brother and threaten him and his wife. So he couldn't do anything. And so this is, this would have been, you know, the gentleman that told me the story, this would have been Andreas's name. It would have been his uncle. And so, one day, his uncle takes his mother, his grandmother to town. This is before he was born. And um, she comes back, and she's got this little leather ba- bag, and she started wearing it around her neck. She's tucking it into her blouse. And one day, Andres's dad, this is before he was born, got drunk and started questioning her, saying, why were you in town? I heard you went to this, this lady. They, they call her the witch. And uh, I I know that you did something because he had fallen down and he had broken his foot. Or he had tripped and broken his foot while trying to mend the fence. He he said, I know that you caused this. You caused me to fall. And he was adamant about it. So he started making threats and saying he was going to do this and he was going to do that. Well, the nearest neighbors were several kilometers away. And so his wife set off to go and, and fetch the neighbor who was one of the only people around there that could handle him and get him under control which was his friend and uh so she went and she fetched this guy well by the time that they had returned he had killed his his grand the uh, the mother and he found a, a small leather bag around her neck and it had a chicken's foot in there and some gunpowder well obviously these are these are items that you use to do certain things Uh, This was the worst mistake he could have made. Now, they couldn't prove that he did it. His story was that she fell and hit her head. Mexican police, always known for doing a thorough job, they were like, oh, okay, it looked like the rock fell and hit on the head, and that's why for me to go to get the head on my head. And then... (laughs) Case closed. Case closed. So, done deal...
2: Oh my god poor lady she was attacked by all these she bullets she was attacked
0: by these rocks she fell on them but um so so they didn't really care you know and so it was it was a very tragic thing and uh, this guy was telling me you know he goes I never got to meet my grandparents and you know, it was a sad thing whatever blah blah blah. Uh, my mother and my dad they stayed together you know and eventually the farm um the the deed was not passed down to him to her because of him it was passed down to the brother the Brother goes and gets the authorities, and they run him off the farm. He's like, "That's it, you know. Um, well, they went to go live in, in a neighboring like village where they where they, the little farm was on the edge of. I don't know the name of the town and and so they went to live at this village, but they lived on the outskirts of it in a very small little shack. Now here's where the story kind of starts to take a turn the 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 mother of this person that told me the story. This would have been her mother that died. She started getting visited, knocks on the on the on the on the wall, and uh, at night, and everybody was sound asleep, and nobody else could hear the knocks but her. It was like she's the only one awake in this little shanty shack that they were in, one, one room shack, and the, the literally had an outhouse to go to use the bathroom. So she goes outside and she sees this creature that literally comes up out of the dirt what it looked like to her was the devil. She described it as diablito you know, but when her son, this, you know, when Andreas pressed her to tell, you know, give me a description. What, what did it look like? She said it had hooves. It looked like the devil. And he said, well, like the devil could be a lot of things, you know, when she, when they looked up images on, on a computer, Okay, this was just like ten, twenty years ago, when he you know she told him the story, the whole story it It was basically a goat headed looking creature that looked like a goat man, you know, and he said oh that's a that's a goat man, you know, and of course, I didn't have a show back then, you know, but year, years later, you know he started listening to my show and he said dude i I got a story, he told me, messaged me' And he's like, and it goes back to my to my mother. Um, his mother passed away of cancer a few years ago, um, but uh, and she was quite elderly. He said that she was convinced that this thing was communicating with her, and what it wanted was her husband, and it was basically contracted, so to speak, to fulfill this duty. Here's what she discovered. Now, I'm not going to jump ahead. I'm not going to jump ahead. The first thing she asked this thing uh, was basically, you know, uh, ¿Por qué esta aquí? You know, ¿Por qué estas aquí? And which means, why are you here? And he said, guerra, which means war. And she's like, with who, you know? And she, he's like, es tu spouse," you know, your your husband. You know, and she asked it, uh, you know, what do you want? And this was another weird answer. And he said, "Quiero comida. He wants food. Yeah. And he wanted food. And she said that it like bit its teeth, like, like, you know, snapped its teeth. And she said it had huge, like teeth, like a wolf. She said it almost looked like a wolf, but it, you could tell that it was goat-like in in its bone structure and had horns, ram horns. So kind of like a ram headed goat looking dog, man type creature, you know? And she she said that I'm going to take the soul of your mother for what? The fire is going to burn, but I can't take that until he dies. It's like, so you know every time he would come the next day she would come out there and she would always say the 12th truce you know mm-hmm. and uh the prayer of the 12th truce basically and she would always you know say the rosary and this thing would not come onto the property there was like a line that she went to a culandatta and the culandatta told her to draw a line between the building and the nearest fence line and and when she said that the the prayer of the 12th truce that basically it wouldn't come beyond that. So tried negotiating with her and told her, look, you know, I'll give you gold. You just let me, let me do what I got to do. And she's like, I don't want your gold. And she was like, gave a big old chunk of gold, probably enough to live the rest of your life, you know, with like, you know, and she's like, and, and she's like, and she even talked to it. She's like, besides that, the conversation was all mental. He said, "Besides that, it's a chunk of gold. What can I do with that? Somebody will rob me from it." He goes, "I can turn this into coins. I can give you. I can make it whatever you want." He's like, "But I'm going to kill, you know, this guy." He goes, "I'm here. We're muerta. We're death, and and I'm not going to leave until he's gone. He's dead. I'm taking him." And she said that whether he dies today, tomorrow, next week, or ten years from now, he's going to hell regardless. So There's nothing you can do to stop it. And she loved her husband, even though he was a brutal, alcoholic, useless person for all intents and purposes. And this creature, every time he came, he became more and more angry. And his eyes were more and more ablaze with like this reddish glow. And he said, if you continue this, you know, charade with me, he's like, I'm going to find a way to get across and I'm going to tear out your heart. You know, like your your, your heart, your corazón is going to belong to me. It's going to be a trophy. And she's like, That's fine. I'll go to heaven. He goes, Maybe, maybe you will, but you'll be dead and all your children will be dead. So you give up this guy and let me take his soul along with the soul of your mother, and you and your children can go in peace. Now, at that point, she told her son, She said she was crying and she said, Andres, I wasn't going to let this demon take my husband not just for him and because I loved him, she goes, but because my mother had screwed up and made this mistake. And she felt in her heart that if she protected her family from this entity, that it would not, like like, like God would not forsake the mother. So she had a dream. She went to sleep, and b- before she went to sleep, she prayed. And she asked God, she said, God, please, please help me deliver us from this evil creature. When she would try to tell her husband about it, he would just be like, hey, mentiras, you know, this is bull, you know, crap, whatever. So it went so far as to tell her, like, you know, screw off, you know what I mean? And then she, he's like, you know, if you see it, you know, tell it, mm, como mierda, you know, like whatever. Yeah. You know, like something really crappy, and she was like, man, es duela, way you know, whatever. And she was like, okay, you know. And the next day after he'd said all these bad things, this this goat creature came, scratched on the back of the building. That's, on, that's as far as it could go. She walked outside again, and she she said, you're not coming. She had the crucifix in her hand. She says, you're not coming over to my property. You're not taking my husband's soul. You're not, you know, I think that he's got good in him. This thing laughed and said, there's no good in him. No, no, no good at all. And he told her, you know, basically that he goes, just stop. Because next time I come, your cho- one of your children are going to die. And she, she went back, she prayed the next day, and she was like, God, please deliver me from this thing, you know, in the name of Jesus. She was like, please, you know. And so she hung the crucifix up on the back of the building. The next day she was out there getting water, and the crucifix was upside down, and there was blood on it. And then she went around the corner of the building, and there was a lamb that had been bashed apart on the side of the building. And this thing told her in a voice in her head, she's like, you think I'm playing? I was like, that's going to be your kid next time. So she prayed again the next day. She didn't, she didn't see the creature that day. She, just, she prayed. Creature comes back the next day, this demon. And she said every time it came back, it was more angry, more invigorated, and bigger. Like it was getting stronger, bigger. And she, she just kept praying. She kept praying. So one day she decided to do something. It told her it wanted agua, you know, water. It was thirsty. Give me water. You're not supposed to negotiate with these things or give them anything at all, right? So she tried to play a trick on it. She took a gourd, tried to give it to the, the, this creature It was filled with holy water. And right before he's about to pour it in his mouth, he, he, he stopped, he looked at it, and he threw it. And he's like, you think I'm a fool? You think I'm, you know, I'm stupid? And he's like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to trick me. And she says, no, no, I'm not going to trick you. She's like, I want to kill you. She's like, "And, and yeah, it's holy water. And then he took it and he goes, okay, called her bluff. He drank it, every drop of it, nothing happened. He said, you know, that priest that you got this holy water from, he's no good. He's not a priest. He's like, he's bound to hell, you know, more than anybody in this whole village. And then she went back to the priest, and she confronted him. His name was Carlos. But he was kind of like uh, El Padrino, you know, There, like everybody looked up to this guy, and he really wasn't a good guy, she, it turned out. And, and he said, well, I can help get rid of this creature for you. I can take you up to the hills. There's a, there's a, a, a bruja there. Well, he called it a colandera. But he said that she's, she's the, the, the woman with the one eye. And he's like, she's got the, oh, she can she can get rid of this creature. But you got to sleep with me. Yeah, real good guy. And so she's like, I'm not going to do that. So the priest says, okay, then I can't help you. Sorry. And uh, he goes, good luck. And then she knew this priest wasn't a good dude and that this creature wasn't going to go away. It was going to continue its assault on her family and this guy andreas was before he was born but his older brother the middle brother got really sick really sick and he began throwing up and it and and the throwing up became worse it was blood and this blackish goo looking stuff was mixed into the blood and the, the the mother was like her hair was turning gray she was losing her mind and the whole time her husband just sat there drinking and you know, going to cockfights and just whatever, living his life like a like like he was, a no-good person. So she told him, she says, I'm leaving one day. She says, I'm going to, to, to take the kids to America. He says, no, you're not. So he beat her up, and he locked her in the chicken coop, literally. But he told her to stay there for the night. She came out he's going to kill her. And uh, he told her, you know, he was going to take your filero, a you know, knife, kill her, whatever. She stayed in the chicken coop that night, and that night, his his stupidity, like he he stumbled across that line, and she told him about it, Well, he kicked dirt all over it. The next day, she wakes up. She's screaming and pleading, you know, to, to be released, whatever, from the, whatever. Her, her oldest boy comes out, lets her out, and says, Mom, Dad is dead. Something's wrong. He, he, he won't move. She goes into the house. They all witness this too. He sits up. Eyes roll back in his head. His arms are wrapped around his body, squeezing his body. And he starts talking to her in a deep guttural voice. And basically gives her a message saying, you know, this is a message importante, you know, whatever. And tells her, he's like, this this, this soul is mine. In two days, this body will be dead. And then went, his body laid back down and, and went, went to sleep. Like it was, he was just sleeping like a man. Everything in the, and that little shack shook and they freaked out. So that night she was like, we're out of here. She got together with a couple people from the village that were going to try and make it to America. They gathered up their kids. She gathered up her kids and they headed for the border. And they made the arduous journey to get across to the United States. When she finally made it across the United States, they ended up in New Mexico because they had some family there in Las Cruces. When they got to New Mexico, the dad was already there. Like, it was crazy, right? But it was like he was not a normal person. Not only had his whole demeanor changed, but his voice was different. He showed up at the door of her... Cousin's house, and began to beat on the door, and then eventually, not kicking it, just just hitting it with his fist, knocked it down. So she, at that time, now she was pregnant with Andres. You know, she had been pregnant. Whenever the police arrived, he was gone. They couldn't find him. He had disappeared. And of course, they're from Mexico. They don't have papers. So, she, so they hid in the shed in the backyard because there was a disturbance. The neighbors called the police. She said that literally she felt the spirit of of like the devil, like the like the evilest thing you could possibly imagine. Call her out of the shed and told her, if you don't come outside, I'm going to kill all of your children. She comes outside. Imagine what this woman's been through. She's been through hell on earth. This creature is standing there before her. First thing she did when she got to New Mexico was she went and she met with a real priest and she prayed with him and she said she felt the Spirit of God over her and he gave her holy water and he said, say the 12 truths and throw it on him. So she did. And when she said that, and she quoted a verse uh, from, from the New Testament, you know, and he did not know what the verse was. He just said that he gave her a Bible verse to say Whatever. And when she did this, this thing literally started walking towards her. It lit on fire. The water made it light on fire. When it, as it walked toward her, it just started to dissolve into ash. And what was left laying there on the ground was his dead. At that point in time, he sat up and he was like covered in like water and ash. For the rest of that man's life, he spoke with a speech impediment, his dad, but he never missed a day of church. And he said, what happened to him that when this thing took his body, he was taken to another realm, like another existence, another world where it was dark. And these creatures, all they did was bite him and burn him with like these hot rocks. And it was like hell. You know, And they just kept telling him, you're going to be here forever. You're doomed. There's nothing you can do. And he kept crying out in anguish, thinking, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. If I only had somebody that could you know, help me, whatever. When she knew, once she knew, when she talked to that priest, she was like, if I, if I can be brave and stand up to this creature and defeat it, I can not only save my children, but I can save my husband's soul. And his mom and her mom. And the mother. Yeah. I don't know about that because I didn't hear. I don't know about that. Yeah.
2: I mean, I would assume based but, yeah. on what he said earlier mm-hmm. about her, he, the the demon needs the father's soul first. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that that was what I was thinking of is like, he, I don't think she could really go through with it because even if, you know, she hated her husband, I don't think she could really ever condemn her mother yeah. to something like that off of a mistake. I, I don't know
0: about what happened to her because yeah, she okay, was dead.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now. This guy, he literally, what he did because he committed murder, you know, the rest of his life, he spent like giving like all of his time, all of his energy, all of his efforts to trying to be a good dad, trying to atone for his sin, going to church and all the extra money he spent helping, you know, the church or whatever. He eventually became a truck driver and became a, he made decent money and they said he always gave to 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 the less fortunate people he never he never made any bones about it what he did in Mexico. He was like, "I did this and now she did say that her mother was not a really nice she wasn't really a good person, you know what i mean um and her dad was the good one, he was kind of like a good guy, but her mother was mean. When she was growing up, she would do things like throw them and lock them in the closet and do all these mean things, pinch them all the time till they bled, things like that. And one time she even took her or took a needle, like a, a thorn, and pricked her finger and and did some kind of weird uh, something, said some words and got her real sick. And so she was doing things she wasn't supposed to be doing, okay? But Andres' mother, you know, was so good-hearted, her name was Marta, that she actually had, he's like, my mom had so much love in her heart that she was willing to sacrifice everything to help all of us. And that when she died, when she was on her deathbed, he goes, I and my siblings and my cousins and my aunts and my uncle, we all witnessed an angel appear to take her. He's like, we saw it in the corner of the room of the hospital. And she, we saw like a, like a ball like go toward it, and then that, that what looked like an angel. Like a being of light, you know, just disappeared, like going upward at an angle out of the building, um because he's like my mother was a good person who never spoke evil, you know, never did wrong, and so it's literally a story of good over evil, and what it takes to defeat evil, you have to be pure, and I can imagine her being called outside every day to do battle with this demon. And being forced to confront that that demon every day, and it makes me, like, how many of us could go through that? Like me, I would have been like, "Go take him," you know. Like, it would have been been so easy. I would have just been like, "This this, this, this dude's a bum," you know. Like, I'm not gonna. My mother was cruel to me. This guy's useless. I'm done. You know, like any lesser person, even
1: if she was truly in love with their husband, if she were any less of a moral person she would have eventually been driven by by the constant visitations of this demon been driven to hate her husband and to blame him and to and to just finally be like you know what you brought this on yourself Mm -hmm. take him i can't i can't stand this you got yourself into this and you're gonna get yourself out or not i don't care but i'm not choosing your safety over that of my children's Mm -hmm. but she was thinking of everyone and, and was willing to risk unknown consequences really because that demon or entity devil was threatening her was with very specific threats i have no doubt that it planned on following through with those threats but they don't tell you the whole truth of, of of what they're capable of doing or what they have planned on doing it didn't matter to her she was going to save her whole family mm-hmm. at all costs
0: she even offered herself to this thing mm-hmm. And it's you a know? perfect
1: example uh, like, what she did is reflected in the Bible when uh, when Christ talks to two groups of people and tells them the same thing. The first group of people, he says, uh, when you saw me hungry, you gave me no food. When you saw me thirsty, you gave me no drink. When you saw me naked, you gave me, the, you came out. Yeah. And they said, when did we see you like this? And he said, whatever you've done to the least of these my brethren, you've done also unto me. And the second group of people, he told them the same thing except they did give him clothes. They didn't give him uh, food. They did did give him drink. And they asked the same question. When did we see you naked, hungry, um, and thirsty? And he gave them the same answer. That which you have done to the least of my brethren, you have also done it to me. They didn't even know that they were going to get a reward for doing that. They had no clue. That's why they asked, when When did we see you like this? It's the same thing with her. You know, she she knew that she was risking a... Torture from a demon, and she didn't know what what the punishment was, and she she wasn't doing what she was doing for any kind of selfish reward. It was just out of
2: pure love.
0: Yeah, it was a very touching story. It, It
2: speaks truly on her character and also her willpower. You know, to be able to deal with those things and basically be confronted with you know, I would imagine her worst horrors day in and day out, and having to go through that. And it's not like a situation where it was like, oh, I have to deal with this evil thing at night or I have to deal with this later on. It's like her, her own original, just like daily life without the demon was already tough enough. And, you know, <clears throat> brutal, agonizing, you know, uh moment to moment where you don't know what's going to go on. Not to mention that you also have to deal with this and this thing that you're dealing with every, uh, it's, you can't even really go talk to anyone about it because when you do go talk to people about it, all the people around you don't either—they don't care, or they're you know <clears throat> evil, or they just aren't here to help you. Period. And the only true pe- uh, people you really have to count on are your children, and this thing is threatening your children. So it's like she just—it really s- just spoke volumes about her character, because I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure everybody here has a point of where they would say, go ahead. Um, yeah, and,
0: and the thing is, too, she didn't go out there and just offer herself to this demon. What she she asked is, like, you know, can you take me and leave my family be? And he was like, no, I'm not here for you because she was anointed, you know, and he can't take somebody like her, you know. But the fact that she was willing to, to, to sacrifice that, you know, herself for all of the people she cared about. You know, Psalms 91, 5 through 8, it's, it's, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. That verse right there says a lot about this situation here. But uh, So anyway, anyway, that's that story, and we're going to move on from that story. And it is a very uh, compelling story, and I thank you, Andres, for giving us that one and sending it to me. Um, I hope I did it justice by tell- retelling it. But um, anyway, moving on. <clears throat> this next story is 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 a, the second one of the paranormal potluck, and um, this one is a, is a ghost story. It's not a real long one, but it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, there was a guy. It was locked up in a psych- psychiatric intensive care unit, and I actually know the guy that ga- that that this happened to. I didn't know him very well, and y'all probably know my friend that that y'all probably met him when I was younger. I spent some time, oh at, yeah, you know, in some places, and so yeah. So anyway, him, we had a mutual friend, and I met this guy through him, but so he's not like like anybody like a best friend. He's more than an acquaintance, but. His name is Chris, and Chris gave me a story uh, when he was locked up in a psychiatric intensive care unit. And back when he was, you know, when you're young, he was like a, a kid, you know, you're a minor, they'll put you in one of these facilities and they're co ed, which most of them aren't. But he was in this place with adults temporarily um, because that's just, they didn't have a place to put him and he was a danger to himself and others or whatever. So they watch you. And, he said that there was a a lady that was in there and he walked by her room and he saw this black. The only way he could describe it was like an impish looking black creature with weird looking hooved feet with like that, that split the hooved looking, feet, you know, and with big claws and he could not make out the facial features at all. And it had long scraggly hair, like a, like a long haired person or like a woman. And he said that it was hovering over, or on top of a female patient that all she did, she was strapped to a gurney and all she did was scream and yell all night long, kill me, kill me, kill me. He said she would just say it all night, you know, and he said that he witnessed this. This was, uh, when, when this happened to him up in uh, near Detroit, up in Michigan, or maybe it was Detroit. I think it was outside of Detroit. I don't know. Somewhere in that area, but uh, he, he grew up up there and he was it was a, a bad place, but he said that, this, this, he saw this entity or creature like hovering over her or on top of her, and that its mouth was open. Like, he just saw like this, what looked like a, like its mouth, which should have been its mouth. Her mouth was open, and he saw these vapors coming out of her mouth and going into its mouth, like its body. And he said, as this happened, this thing was like undulating and pulsating. And you could see, like, when he, when he, when he stepped into the room and looked at it, get a closer look. It had scales on it, dude. Um, creepy. Wow. Yeah. And it just—he said—and I remember he told me this story, you know. And, and he was just like, "Dude, it looked like." Um. And I hadn't talked to this guy in years, you know. But it was, he when he found out about my show, and my friend, uh, told me, you know, hey, there's this guy that we, you know, that I that I'd met him once before, and he says he's got a story. And he said that that two hours later, like he ran out of there and he told the nurses at the nurse station, and they're like. Uh, you're not supposed to be up here by the nurse station. You need to go on, blah, blah, blah. There's only one nurse lady that was going to go and try to go check and the other two were like, "Oh, don't even, don't even worry about her. She's over there screaming all night, whatever. He goes, well, she's not screaming now and she, she's been doing it for he goes, I've been in here for 13 hours now and she's been screaming for 13 hours straight. Now she stopped. And then one of the nurses was like, well, maybe you done been did something to her, you know, whatever blah, 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 real smarty, you know. And he was like, Said something back to her, you know, and so they started arguing or whatever. Now, the way he described it to me is like, like, he goes, he's an African-American guy. And he was just like, dude, you know, I, I, I started getting ghetto with these women real quick. And he goes, and then I got in trouble. Because they started getting ghetto back. It goes, and then I ended up, you know, security guard came, big guy. He goes, I'm like, you know, smart-mouth teenager. He grabs me, puts me in an arm lock, throws me into my room. He goes, but the security guard listened to me. He goes, look, man, I'm not trying to fight you. He's like, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. He goes, there's something wrong with that woman. Something was on top of her that looked demonic. He said, when he said that the guy kind of like made a face and kind of closed the door and he goes, what did it look like? When he described it, he goes, okay, okay. So then he walked back out and he was at the nursery station and then they all went down there. Well, by the time they got to her room, she was dead. But, uh, yeah, that was a crazy story, but he said that, that that security guard came in there the next night and sat down and had a talk with him, kind of like, you know, an older guy trying to mentor a younger guy and told him, look, dude, he goes, you don't seem crazy. You don't seem like you really belong in here. You got anger issues, you know, and you're in here on a, on a hold, you know, for like a couple, I don't know what it was. This was back in the early 90s. I don't know what the what the – you know what the protocol was back then i know now if you go into like a 48 hour hold or something like that i'm not real sure but uh he, he was in there for like 72 hours or something like that and he said well he's like when you get out of here you know he goes you need to you know fly right and he goes but i'm gonna tell you something man he goes that's this is not the first time that somebody has complained about a creature or entity that looks like that But uh, he said, he goes, this isn't the first time somebody's complained about that. And he goes, well, have you ever seen anything like that? And he goes, look, man, I'm not, I can't be talking about that, you know, because it's my my job, you know. And uh, he goes, but, he goes, I have seen some weird stuff in here. And so he goes, I knew I wasn't crazy. I'd seen that, you know. Um, And I've heard this before, like where somebody's like about to die. There's like some sort of weird creature entity Hovering by the side of their bed or whatever, taking energy from them, um, you know, just doing what what they do, you know, waiting for someone to die or whatever. Uh, but that that's that story, you know, and so that it's not like I said, it's not a real long one. Um, still creepy, I but mean, it's still creepy, yeah. And I thought I mean, I'd I'm, throw that one in there. It
2: also just speaks. Uh, I mean, you, I think we've had a couple interesting stories and the similarities, even though it's supposed to be a paranormal podluck, is that mm. you know there's someone who's in a crappy situation, who's still willing to do good. You know, he saw uh, this scary demonic creature hovering over, over this lady, and his first instinct was, like, to go get help, to figure out what's going on, to try to get in there to help her if he could. I mean, I, I obviously don't know for a fact if he did those things, but point I was trying to make was that he was trying to do his best to at least— help whatever he thought was wrong where in in that situation a lot of people would either turn their nose or like run away from it or shy away from it or hide and i think you know it's very admirable of uh, especially the first story but also his story that even to the point of his own detriment he was willing to try to get someone to help her we
0: ended up getting locked up in his room for it Mm -hmm. so this this last story i'm going to tell this is a pretty crazy story um, this one happened, uh, in Oklahoma. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the name of the town where it happened in. Anyways, it happened in the pan and the panhandle of Oklahoma. And this happened a long time ago, like back in the seventies. Um, but the story was given to me by a, a guy who his great uncle owned a bunch of property and, mm-hmm. and, and in between, uh, you know, some, some land in uh, I guess Northern Texas. And then he owned a little bit more like, you know, whatever up in, Oklahoma and and so uh, two different places, but th- there was what was crazy was that there were two different things going on on this land he owned, and eventually he ended up selling it. And I don't remember what happened. They like built a highway through it or something. Um And it was it was, it was during the depression, is what when we're like when everybody was leaving because of the Dust Bowl, you know when they, when they ended up like moving into that area and buying that land. And he just kind of sat on it because he was a Texas cattleman, a rancher, whatever. And so he ended up getting that land. But by the seventies, they, they were building, they had either built the highway or they were building it or something. Anyway, something happened and they ended up uh, selling the land or whatever for progress, you know, is what it is. And I don't, I don't remember the exact coordinates or whatever, um, but I thought it was interesting. Like, and it's not a real long story either. But he said that when when he was there, he said it was 1971, and it was the second to the last year before they sold the property. There was this barn that they had, and it was a uh, I don't know. Like, I guess the way the, the way I would look at it, knowing what I know, it was like a vortex or something. Because one day he said that him and his brothers were playing in that barn. And they were they were just like you know goofing off. They were supposed to be doing chores, and they and they started throwing the football around. You know, kids, they're yeah, kids. Yeah, crazy story. He throws the the football, and his brother tips it with his hand. He misses it. It flies out the front door. Like it had those double doors that opened up. You know, flies out the barn, and this this creature. The way he could only the only way he could describe it was like if it was like a like if you. And he even mentioned this to me, you know, and like I, I'm a fan of the show uh, Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. And he said, have you ever seen those Hawkmen? And he said it looked like one of those, but like a female, like it had breasts, you know, that were exposed. And he said that it came down and it swooped down and it grabbed the ball and took off up into the sky. And he said him and his brother Isaac were just sitting there and they were all like, what the heck? So the one that had missed the ball was the closest to the door. He didn't like even balk. He just turned and ran to the front of the barn and was looking around in the sky. He goes, "Dude, come here! Look at this thing!" And he said it was kind of like swooping down and going back up, swooping down and going back up, but not coming toward them or anything. And when they when they were all three sitting there staring at it, they were just like, "What is that?" Well, the best way he could describe it was a, like a harpy, mm-hmm. you know, like like that. That's one of these creatures from mythology that's like a female. Now, one thing we 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 do uh, know, we've we've heard this story before, was that the that the the sons of God were they, they bred with the daughters of man. Well, you know, in the Book of Enoch and of course Genesis six, we know that 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 they were turned into these harpy type creatures. So, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't unheard of. that people would see something like that. What makes this story really interesting, though, and. Uh, I'll try to get a little more information about this because you know th- there was more to it than this, but this is just the story that w- that I got. You know, whatever it was, just uh, an email it wasn't a um, re- it wasn't him telling me the story. It's Just what I have read, and I thought it was interesting. I throw it in there on the potluck, and he didn't give me exact coordinates or anything like that either. But he said that two years later. They, but right before they were getting ready to move, before the, their, their great-uncle had sold the land, because his grandfather was pretty much uh, the custodian, kind of taking care of it because his great-uncle had a stroke and wasn't able to, uh, like, he had no cognitive abilities, and, you know, he was just on his deathbed. So the grandfather was taking care of it, and him and his wife and his sister-in-law were selling it. Well, they're outside playing kickball whatever, and it uh, was like several of him and his brothers and his cousins or whatever. And they had, it was weird because they had three brothers and then his aunt and uncle had three uh, siblings too. So there were three brothers and then three cousins and they were all brothers. And it was weird because they were all one age. Like he was 12, you know, and his nice cousin was, was 13 and then his middle brother was 14. The other brother was 15. So they were all one year apart. It, it was weird. You know, um, I have seen that happen. Like it's, it's weird how that happens. Um, And he said, yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. You know, he says, so we we kick, my brother kicks the ball and it bounces off the house, goes around and it goes up to the barn. When they walked into the barn or, or when his brother did to go, and that was his brother, Isaac, when he went in there to go get the ball, he sees this hairy, this is why I think there was some sort of vortex there, but he said there was some sort of hairy, like the only way he could describe it was like a Sasquatch. And like, it literally looked down at the ball and kicked it back to him and then turned and walked out the other side of the barn and he said when it did it went into this like weird blurry looking whatever and when he when it when the sasquatch type creature touched it this circular looking spiral thing opened up and he could see into that other world and he said you know his brother was the inquisitive one um he ran toward it and he said that he looked at it and in through that like the only way to describe it was a portal he saw these bird-like creatures that looked like the thing that had grabbed their football two years before swooping around in, in that circle, like into that other world. And he said, dude, I wanted to go in there. He said, but when he, when when that creature, the Bigfoot creature, he said it wasn't like a humongous creature. He said it was like six and a half feet tall, big like a giant man, but not like some of these stories we get of like
2: eight, foot eight tall, nine
0: foot tall. you know. Know, like A thousand pounds or something. Yeah. Uh, but he said that, it, you know, like the one off the of San Gabriel River, that, that, you know, they said the eyes were up at like nine foot, nothing like that. But he said that this thing turned around and basically like, like turned and looked at him and just gave him a look, like a menacing look. And then he got scared and he ran off. And then when he turned back around, it was gone. And they said that they always thought, according to what this guy said, his, him and his brothers always thought that that barn was haunted because they would hear voices and conversations and stuff in that barn sometimes. And sometimes they would hear what they thought was like a radio playing, but they it would be speaking in a language where they don't understand. And now, I mean, you know, he's you know grown man, whatever, you know. And he said that, dude, I've heard bunches of different languages, man. He goes, I've been overseas in the military. He's like, I didn't recognize any of those languages. So I thought that was interesting though. But anyway, that land, he said, um, at one time that you could walk to that land, you could find arrowheads and all kinds of stuff. And, and, uh, he said, but the, it was only the area around there. He said on the actual area near the barn and the house and all that, he said, never found nothing like the native Americans just completely avoided that spot, you know? And, um, so one day before his grandmother died, she was on her deathbed and she was talking and she says, I know you boys, uh, know about that barn. And she's like, y'all need to tear that barn down. And she died. And so they thought that was really weird. Like, you know, um, her last thing she tells them is that they need to tear the barn down and then she passes away. And so the grandfather said, "Yeah, let's get to it." And so they went out there, and they tore the barn down and the house, everything. Um, and they sold the land because the house was dilapidated anyway. And they they sold the land off at auction or something. You know, I don't know the whole story, but um, and then they ended up building like a road through there or something. But uh, yeah, it's really it's really strange story. Um, and I'm going to look into that. I'm going to try and get some more information so I can figure out what road that is because that could be a, a place where people see stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. It might be,
0: yeah, and it could be because there's some sort of portal or, well, like a vortex or something. there. There's two little two different things, but something along those lines that may that's making making the, like the, the encounters that they saw. Now, granted, he didn't see the bigfoot creature, but he did see the harpy-looking creature. But the fact that his brother went in there and saw the the portal and saw the Bigfoot and then saw the weird-looking creatures flying around through the, you know, whatever, um, it's, it's it's wild. It's pretty interesting, you know, to think about, you know. But uh, that's going to do it for tonight, folks. Um, thank you for tuning in. And to everybody who uh, has joined the Patreon, we appreciate it. And thank you for donating on, on Fridays. It really helps the show and you really do everything to support us and please come out to the conference we don't know exactly where it's going to be we're hoping it's in the fort worth area but if not it may end up being in my backyard here in austin we're not 100 percent sure
2: either way we hope you guys stop by yeah either way we hope you
0: show up and you uh come uh have a good time. hi and have yeah. a good time we're going to have over 20 speakers and it's going to be a, a friday night uh Saturday and Sunday event. We're we're thinking chicken fried steak is going to be served for At the, the Friday VIP, night. I think yeah. VIP dinner. Then we're gonna have barbecue on Saturday and Sunday. Now if it's here in Austin, I'm probably gonna have my friend R. Ash come and and do the Sunday uh portion of it. And then Trey Felton who spawn who did the uh First catering conference. for the the Parents of Tennessee conference. Paris yeah. c Parents of Tennessee Conference was very successful um, everybody liked the food, so he'll be back for Friday and Saturday and then we'll probably have our ash here Sunday if we do it here in Austin, if we do it in Fort Worth, it might be just Trey all weekend, but we're going to see, we're going to see what happens. We don't know yet for sure, but we definitely want you guys to come out and, and, uh, enjoy. Uh, I am working on my book or books and I'm hoping to have those done by the end of spring and the other one probably by mid summer. So those will be out, um, You know, so I'm just, I'm continuing to gather stories and reports and it's so much of it. Like, you know, it's just like, they just, the floodgates, like, you you know, and it's like, it just keeps coming, dude. So anyways, we have plenty of guests. We're booked up until the end of April, you know. Uh, We got a lot of things show, And we got a lot of stuff planned. We got a lot of projects in the works. We're going to be doing some work. Um, with uh, our friend Christopher Jordan, we're going to be doing
2: a, a collaboration with him. I had a great talk with him over dinner.
0: Yeah, he's a good guy. So stay tuned to Paranormal Roundtable, folks. Got a lot of things going on. We're going to keep it coming. Mm-hmm. And we thank you
2: for for being uh, paratroopers. I was going to say, if you have, just uh, in case you guys forget, don't forget to go on that Facebook post and comment so you guys can make sure to uh, win something.
0: Yeah, maybe win a book from Barton Nunley, Chad David Lewis, Weatherly, David Weatherly, Lyle Blackburn, Lyle Blackburn Ken Gerhardt, Lance Trigger. We have a bunch of them. So, folks, that's it for tonight. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you have a great Tuesday night. Good night.